0: Welcome to the Critical Witness podcast where we talk faith, apologetics, evangelism and anything else we can think of. We hope you enjoy the show. welcome to critical witness we're using Streamyard uh for the first time and i'm hoping that it's live i'm just checking that we are live before i hand over to our guests uh and we are so uh welcome and uh those of you on the podcast you will have no idea what this looks like hopefully it sounds okay as well um we've got myself and dan is here with me and we've also got uh Dr. Richard Playford, who I'm just going to bring on to the screen, everyone all at once, and uh, we're going to be talking about philosophy and um, philosophy of religion and how much we can learn from other religions tonight. And uh, but first, before we do any of that, it'd be good to hear from uh, Dr. Richard Playford. And uh, just to uh, Richard, just introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about yourself um, and how you became a Christian. And what you do now. Over to you. Okay, yeah, yeah.
1: So um I'm currently a lecturer in religious studies at St. Mary's University in Twickenham. I became a Christian when I was I'd say I became a Christian properly when I was about twenty one, although I'd flirted with it, shall we say, before then. And and I sort of gradually grew into my faith as I progressed through through university and, and since then I've, I've moved around in denominations but I've, I've sort of been definitely a Christian from that stage onward and I studied uh, philosophy with ancient history at the University of Exeter then I went on to do an MA in philosophy at the University of Birmingham and then my PhD at the University of Reading before being my current job in 2017 at St. Mary's uh, and I tend to work in ethics Uh Aristotelian to mystic metaphysics so the metaphysics of Aristotle and Aquinas Um, but I also have a sort of side interest in eastern philosophy and other religions um, and ethics and things like that so I've got quite broad-ranging sorts of views Um, and then the thing that I've been invited on to talk about is what attitude should we have as Christians to other religions and It seems to me within this, there are two questions. First of all, there's kind of the meta question, which is what attitude should we take for the religions? And it seems to me there are two extremes that I think are, in a way, equally unhelpful. The one extreme is sometimes called pluralism, where we say all religions are true, all of them are equally true, all of them are 100% correct. But that's obviously absurd because they make very different claims about the world, they make mutually exclusive claims about the world. And so they can't all be true. Maybe they can all be wrong, but they can't all be true. So I think that pluralism's a non-starter. But on the other hand, equally, well, maybe almost as equally absurd, would be to reject all other religions wholesale. And just to say, if it's not from a Christian background, or even not from my denominational background, then it must be false, or perhaps even worse. some I've seen some Christians get so anxious about other religions, they think it must be demonic. And I think that that's also very unwise for a couple of different reasons, but one, some religions make claims that agree with Christianity, most obviously Judaism and Islam, but we can also find points of contact with all the major world religions. So if truth doesn't contradict truth, then at least in those respects they're going to have to be correct. And then I would also encourage us to be open to uh, some of those other claims that Christianity doesn't explicitly weigh in on, but which other religions may shed some light on. And so, we were discussing this before with the two of you guys, but maybe we could start by discussing that meta question, what should our attitude be like? And then we could look at some examples and I'd be happy to talk about some of the stuff that I've found helpful in my travels.
0: Yeah. Uh, there's, there's, this could go in various different directions and it's quite interesting to to think through the similarities um, and, and where things cross. I'm, I guess first off, I'm, I work with the international chaplaincy team um, that's obviously interfaith as well. Um, and so I'm, I'm very ready to to hear and listen from those other faiths and, uh, but it'd be interesting Dan, what's your, what's your experience across with uh, other faiths at this point? Um, well, in terms of what I
2: think about
0: them or just sort of. Yeah. Your you interaction it- at like, how how much do you get a ch- uh, chance to talk with, say, yeah. Hindus or Buddhists uh, about about what they believe? Uh, very rarely, I would yeah, say. Okay. Yeah, I'd
2: say we've, we've probably most experience would be with uh, uh, Muslims. Would be, be the sort of primary sort of group that engage with. Had some good Muslim friends in the past that we sort of spent a lot of time trying to understand each other and make sure that we're representing each other's views accurately. Um uh to the point sometimes where, you know, I'd have a my Muslim friend explaining uh, a sort of orthodox view of the Trinity to his other Muslim friends who were, you know, giving uh you know uh, an incorrect uh version of, of of sort of Trinitarian theology. So it's quite quite interesting to have a Muslim kind of explain, no, 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 they don't it's wrong, but actually they don't believe that, they believe this and explain it. So you know, for, I think for those experiences have led me to to kind of think that um, you know, it doesn't always have to be combative. That we can actually we can disagree, uh, mm. but we can we can educate each other. And I, I learned a lot a lot about Islam from from those discussions. And I, I wish I was able to have more uh, more of those kinds of um, discussions. But I think sometimes you know people who are willing to do that are you know rarer than we would
1: like. Unfortunately. Mm. And I, I would yeah. say that when yeah, you yeah. And you really try to understand each other what you find is is kind of correlating to the two extremes I was talking about earlier there are some people who want to say all religions all, all deep down they all agree No, if you really try and understand them you'll see that there are genuine and significant disagreements hmm. but what you'll also see is that there are significant agreements too and you can only get to that if you actually put the effort into actually properly Understand them. I mean, I'm interested in seeing have, hmm. have the two. I mean, we. I, I mentioned I'd encountered a few Christians who had this attitude. Have the two of you come across Christians who are absolutely sort of terrified of any other religion in any way? And what sort of reasons did they give for that?
2: I, I, I'd say only on the internet. I've never met people in real life who you know would kind of say that you know all you know, all religions in virtue of them not being Christianity are sort of demonic, uh,
0: hmm.
2: but but yeah, I'm I'm sure they exist. I mean, one, one thing that I, I've that's always sh- struck with me is something that Tim Keller said about different religions and how how uh, you know Christians view different religions and how the kind of world understand it. So he always said that yeah, that that um, you know Christians think we are the other religions are fundamentally different but superficially the same, whilst um, the world kind of thinks of religions as fundamentally similar and only superficially different. Um, and and that, I think you can only come to that sort of latter view by just really a deep ignorance of what other religions teach because, you know, if you look at just Judaism, Christianity and Islam and Hinduism, I mean, they are fundamentally different in, in, in a number of ways. You know, you know all right, three of them are theistic, uh, but even... Very quickly, we then, well, and then you've got Christianity that's talking about, um, you know, a Trinitarian God, and then people are saying, well, that's polytheist. You know, so it, 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 it quickly, it quickly um, dissipates. Um, but, there's, but there's, you know, there's definite ag- agreement. But, but I think, um, you know, a, a kind of, um, uh, you know, even a superficial understanding, I think, of the different world religions, you, you, you can't. I find it hard to think people can genuinely think that's the case.
0: Yeah, I think. Oh, we we're talking slightly before the show. There, there are certain people that are just so wary of syncretism and taking things on board that um, sort of blur the lines of of which faith uh, they're in. And generally, I think it's it is coming from a, a place where you're not necessarily grounded in your own faith. Uh, so it's a sort of fear of. Um, fear of losing what you know, uh, f- and fear of the unknown potentially uh, coming into play. Um, I just to uh, just ground a little bit of pushback and and why I think this is a really healthy discussion to have, and then maybe we can you can kind of push back on what what I'm saying as well. But I, I see it very much as something that Paul did really well. He understood what the, the sort of culture and context of uh, the churches he wrote to were in when he give, uh, he and Peter delivered sermons in Acts. You see them taking on board the culture, the uh, idols, the poets that, that the people around them would know, and then applies them in a way that points to, well, for the unknown God, it was to the known God, the God who you can know, so I think there's definitely a, a strong tradition through Christian history to engage with poets and wisdom around us, uh, and there's even the doctrine of common grace, as I understand it, that there is some truth within these other uh, belief systems, but also there might be some devil <laughs> in there. so I, I think it's finding that that balance that um, being cautious as we engage with these. Uh, different views but they to yeah to just lambast them as as just like your uh, all of the devil is not going to be healthy not going to be helpful and it actually it completely removes the concept of loving your neighbor I think um so that, that's a few thoughts just to sort of get us started in, in why I think I personally think that's a a good grounding of being a Christian what are Can your I thoughts
2: just, I- can I just clarify something quickly? Just uh, I was just thinking. So, you know, when I when I when I made that observation about you know referring to what Tim Keller said, mm. um, I should say that I think when when I think often people have sort of pluralistic views. Is um, it's rooted in something good? It's rooted in wanting people to get along, because we all identify that you know um, you know within you know Western society, especially UK multicultural. Um, you know, uh, numerous different religions, and it, it it can seem divisive to put too much an emphasis on the difference, the things that that, were, that are different about our beliefs, rather than I think the the, the, the motivation behind that is to to kind of emphasise that we all get on. You know, that the yeah, we're we're super, we're, we're only superficially but fundamentally we're we're kind of the same, which allows us to to kind of get on, and, and you, know, you know, otherwise you end up with issues that we have going on in France and stuff at the moment
1: so once you whilst you were talking i was just looking up sort of feeding off you know thinking about what phil had said um if you're interested there was i think it was justin martyr saint justin martyr who's one of the church fathers he i think it was him and if anybody in the comments knows then do correct me um he's one of the first people to get really sort of uncomfortable with other other religions and other gods but i think it's interesting to read and to think about what he's actually saying but he attributes uh or he suggests that the ancient roman and ancient greek gods were demons and i think there's different ways of interpreting what he's saying and i won't pretend to be an expert on the church fathers because i think he could be saying any miracles that they attribute to them or any divine action that they attribute to them be attributed to demons because it's not it's not our guy so it must be it must be somebody else or he could be making like a really strong claim i don't think on the face of it he is but that's just my inexpert reading where he's just where he's where he's kind of dismissing it wholesale and saying any reference to any of those gods in any context must ultimately be demonic and should be avoided so you kind of got him but he's kind of like one extreme because you also if you fast forward uh, hundred years and you get to people like Saint Thomas Aquinas in the medieval period you've got him engaging in enormous detail with Jewish and Muslim thinkers Um, and indeed one can argue that that the Christian love affair with Aristotelian philosophy that some of that is owed to the Muslim world because to some extent I think it's probably an overly simplistic view of history but to some extent when the Roman Empire fell it was the sort of Muslim world that ended up eventually getting Aristotle and the Christian world they got Plato and then at various stages in the medieval period the two came together and led to some of that wonderful scholastic philosophy that that has been the bedrock of so much Christian faith particularly in the Catholic and Anglican and, and Orthodox traditions so, there's, so throughout sort of the history of it there's this I guess both open but also cautious relationship and I guess we should kind of follow them in that
0: Um, anyway, yeah. so sorry, <laughs> I was trying to find the mute <laughs> new tech. I Yeah, to- totally agree with that. I, I've heard similar things with this idea that if it's not our guy, it's the um, it must be demons. And I, I think there's there's an aspect with that in uh, two senses that, well, f- for one, I don't think as Christians we have to be as. Um, so, for example, Islam is very key about it being monotheism that it's a very much there's one god and it's allah whereas within christianity there is this potential concept that there's there are other gods with lowercase g's around there's other spiritual beings around uh why wouldn't why why can't they be the the sort of myths and legends they they aren't yahweh sorry if uh I've used the name of God there for those who are watching who are Jewish, um, but they aren't the Old Testament Creator God uh, revealed through Jesus, and um, so it's yeah. I, th- I think there's a there's a, sp- a space within Christianity to at least acknowledge that there might be some other spiritual elements that are what other faiths are tapping into. Uh, and what what are your th- thoughts on on, on that because that's something I've been kind of wrestling with myself trying to figure out where, where I sit on that
1: yeah I, I guess I guess that leads on to some really interesting questions about angelology and things like that one of the things I've always found interesting about Christianity and I've never quite understood why but it does seem to be an article of faith for most of the major denominations and I do know that C.S. Lewis played around with the idea a little bit though challenged it a little bit some of his science fiction books we do seem to assume that when it comes to angelic beings which is what we're talking about here that they're either fallen and hence demonic or they're not fallen and they're angelic they're kind of it's very like all or nothing i can think perhaps of some philosophical reasons why you might think that which would get quite technical but we could bat them around a little bit if you want um so i guess i do have sympathy with that but certainly if you're open to it and you can allow that there might be this whole shading of entities that are superhuman but neither good nor nor bad or a little bit good or a little bit bad or good in some ways and bad in some ways and that would just sort of really make the whole <laughs> situation a whole lot comfortable uh so a whole lot more uh, complicated yeah and the, the science yep. fiction I'm thinking about, you know, um, out of the silent planet and that series.
0: Have you have you come across that? Um, I I've not, I've not read it. I think I'm aware of it, but um, yeah. I don't read really <laughs> any fiction. And doesn't doesn't. <laughs> I, I, in, occasionally it's in the dabble, final in the final one it.
1: of those, um, they end up that it's it's they it. it, 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 it it's called the Cosmic Trilogy, and they start off going to Mars, and then I think they go over to Venus, and they come back to Earth in third book. And in the end, they, they they have this old guy who gets resurrected, basically, who's been sort of hibernating, and he talks about how in the past there were kind of neutrally, there were neutral angelic beings who were neither good nor bad. But he then suggests that the contemporary time they've either the good side or the bad side, but it does so that C.S. Lewis was prepared to toy around with the idea it hadn't been all or nothing I'm not hmm. sure whether I would agree because I think that if we take a sort of standard view of angels and hold that they're uh, in a epistemically privileged position compared to us, it's not the case that they have to spend 70, 80, 90 and yeah, they don't even necessarily relate to time like that, thinking about do they believe in God and which side are they going to come down to? To mm. normally, it's held that they've got quite quite a full vision from the word go, full knowledge from the word go, and so right now, did you know everything you're ever going to know? It'd be the reason why we're so ambiguous is because we're constantly learning and trying to make up our minds. And so I, I, but I'm open to that. I'm open to the idea of seeing angels in different ways.
0: Dan, have you have you done much exploring of that? No, <laughs>
2: yeah. uh, I know uh, that. Yeah, angels, you read- Angels take very uh, a very small part of my time. Um <laughs> have you have you read Unseen Realm with Heiser? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Michael Heiser. Yeah. I it messes with me. It just messes with my mind. I can't get my head around it. I think I'm 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 I'm, I'm too far gone. I can't, yeah. can't back um, to it. I haven't yeah. I haven't heard of this. What is this? Oh. I don't want to be—I don't want to be guilty of of leading you down the the Michael Heiser rabbit trail. Yeah, he's got—he's got, really, <laughs> got some really interesting views, and I think he's probably right in in nearly everything he says. Um, yeah, he's got a great book. It's, it's the Unseen Realm realm, and then there, he's got a podcast as well, I think, of the same name. And he's got a smaller books. So you don't have to read the Un the Unseen Realm as a as a shorter version that kind of summarizes all all his views. But he's he's a really interesting scholar. I think he's an Old Testament scholar, right? Is he?
0: Old Testament yeah, scholar. yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, he's really interesting. But I I can't. This is just some topics I read around and start thinking. I just think I I can't do that. Uh, yeah.
0: It's, it's time and yeah it, and i've only read unseen realm and listened to i think a couple on his podcast i can't remember for the life of me what it's called uh right now but it he explores the sort of um divine counsel um as well as the uh ancient near eastern view of supernatural natural uh it wouldn't have been the dichotomy that we have um but very much part and parcel of the life and the way the way they see things around them um which yeah i, I kind of get what you mean dan in that, in that it starts to open a bit of a can of worms he explores satan uh and, and what that's who that is what that is um yeah so i guess yeah a rabbit trail is probably quite a good way to to put it uh and one where we're kind of going off topic <laughs> for, <laughs> yeah, for this exactly. conversation <laughs> so I, yeah let's, let's, let's bring it back around to to world religions then so i think we're all on the same page that we we can learn from other religions um the program i see your, your questions we'll bring in some of those questions in a bit um and and then uh they'll, they'll keep us going for, for a little while but for, for now if we focus on world religions what would you say um we're talking about being cautious about it what 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 kind of yeah what was the entry level (laughs) starting point of engaging with other other religions uh in your perspective like what what got you into it um maybe let's let's start with your your story what got you into looking at other religions and and why um (laughs) I mean, the
1: short answer is it was when I was doing my PhD and I was a teaching assistant and I, and I was assisting on a, on a course that did Eastern philosophy. Mm. <laughs> so that's how I. Right. <laughs> that's the short answer. But w- what I would say is that um, originally the first, my first uh, other religious love, that's a, the right way of saying it, was, was sort of with Buddhism, because I found there... Uh, a lot of their their emphasis on living in the moment, on not grasping on to the things of this world, of being highly suspicious of the ego in any way, what we would call pride, um, and a lot of the practices they had towards inculcating those those ways of being in the world, I found a lot of those really quite helpful. And you can translate a lot of it over into Christian terms. So I've already said, In the East, there's a big suspicion of the ego, but we call that pride. And that's a very dangerous sin for us to get involved in. Another issue, for example, for another sort of point of similarity is that for us, we have an infinite God. If there's an infinite God, there's a sense in which we kind of at least disappear in comparison to that. The good news is he's on our side. Again, there's no room for a big ego because God's always going to be bigger than you, so to speak. So again, there's I think there are points of contact there, there's insights. I think the emphasis on living in the moment and acknowledging that there are things that you can't control. So uh, it was that when I was studying this at a time in my life, I was coming to the end of my PhD, I didn't know if I was gonna find a job. There are lots of things that basically I couldn't control in in the here and now. I could take sensible steps, but it was out of my hands. And so although yes, there were there were Christian guidance on that you know let go and let god and things like that a lot of the times sometimes it was more refreshing and more helpful to see it coming out of a a bliss sort of context about understanding that you know we're very finite beings we can't control things and so you've just got to let go you've got to let go let let happen what will happen and enjoy living in the now and then actually in doing that you start to appreciate things otherwise you'd be completely missing and so uh, a sort of example, I won't say who it is, but somebody I know, this individual, always gets stressed on Sunday night because they've got to go to work on Monday morning. Okay, well, fair enough, let's say that work is rubbish. But that then means that you're not actually enjoying your Sunday night either because you're worrying about something that may not Buddhism has this big emphasis of saying, you know, what all that exists right now is, is this, what you're experiencing. So focus on that. And again, you can find all of this, I think, if you dig around enough in Christian spiritual traditions, but often seeing it from that fresh context, I found that really sort of helpful.
0: So it um, sounds like what you can pull out of Ecclesiastes in some aspects, that, that that's kind of <clears throat> what I find Ecclesiastes helpful is you're, you're mortal. <laughs> um, don't, don't dwell too much in the, the future because you can't control it. Everything's... Just like smoke, uh, meaningless vapor, futile, whatever, whatever translation you've got of of Hevel, and uh, yeah, so, so live in the now and and know that this now is what God has given you. Um, so that that does sound similar to what you're what you've taken from that, and helpful and and a fresh perspective. I w- yeah, sorry, Dan. Do you have a question? No, I was, I was going to say just, it was just interesting listening
2: to you talking about how within the sort of Christian tradition we have this this idea of pride, you know, being one of the sort of seven deadly sins, and uh, and Buddhism thinks it's certain, you know, uh, in different terms, in terms of terms of the ego. So obviously, in, in some sense, actually, you know, um, all religions don't necessarily get us to the the same the the, the, the top of the same mountain, but they do. They do point in the same direction so they do they do get a few if we're talking about you know god is at the top of uh, of the staircase actually some of the religions do seem to go up you know uh, we're like oh hi you're on the same step as us we're on the way up you know um uh, is that you know is that are there other examples of that you know things where you know there are certain religions that that are closer uh to the to the top of the staircase than than others and um
1: yeah yeah um so, just coming back to to the point about the Buddhism and and the ego, I think that is a really good is a good illustration of the importance of caution too. So, but the Buddhists and certain sects of Hindus both are suspicious of the ego, which we we are also suspicious of the ego or pride. But there is an important difference, which is the Buddhists are suspicious of the ego because you do not exist according to Buddhism in the way that you think you do. And there's a sense in which you don't really exist and you're just part of this ultimate reality and likewise for certain sects of Hinduism, ultimately you're part of Brahman, its ultimate reality and you don't exist as a, really as a distinct entity. And so although uh, they're suspicious of the ego and they'll help you overcome that, Don't go too far, or by all means study them from an intellectual perspective. But be aware that some of the philosophical underpinnings of that are quite different. And so you you have got to go in with your eyes open. You've got to be aware of what Christianity does teach, which is that, and there's different models for it, but that in some way or form you have a soul and you do exist as a separate entity. So you've got to be you've got to to be clear on Hmm. that, so that you can see. Okay, hold on, I can I can use them, but only up to a certain point in terms of other uh religions the, the two other ones that i've found helpful personally but a lot of that's probably telling you about my psychology um sikhism i think the guru Granth sahib which is their holy text has some absolutely beautiful prayers in it and there are most of them where you can read it as a christian you can affirm all of it you don't need to
2: hmm.
1: be suspicious on anyway. There are some bits, yeah, where you need to be, you you'd either need to reinterpret it or you couldn't affirm it. And But there are certainly some prayers where you read it and you could put that in the Bible. And I don't think anybody would notice. I don't think people would realise <laughs> that wasn't, you know, alongside some of the Psalms, change some of the words a little bit. I don't think anybody would notice the Sikhism. And then I would also say Taoism for me recently. I love a bit of the Chinese sort of philosophy. Uh, religious sort of worldview Taoism it's, it, you might have heard of it described as Taoism or the Tao and things like mm. that um, the same sort of tradition that brought about Tai Chi they have um, again there's, there are points of disagreement so they have the Tao which is the way and that's an impersonal force which guides the universe and all of us towards its ultimate good mm. it's impersonal it's not God as we would understand it but in many ways, they have a very similar relationship with the Tao that we might have with God. So they have a, a sense of surrender because the Tao will win in the end. And you can either you know, fight against it, try and swim upstream, or you can just go with the flow, which is where you're going to end up eventually anyway. And then trusting that ultimately the Tao is going to bring about things, for the ultimate good. And of course, that's what I can't remember where it is, but it says in scripture that God will turn all things to our to our good. Again, there's there's nuance there because there's different Taoist thinkers and some really do kind of put the Tao, Tao, is just kind of nature, it's the universe, some kind of have the Tao as the principle of nature, a little bit outside it, so they themselves are disagreeing. But there's lots of it there that you can that you can kind of read and benefit from. And Again, if you read some of their texts, some of them are um, really beautiful because they kind of poke fun at a lot of our, shall we say, human values. So mm-hmm. for the Taoist, for example, there's a major suspicion of power and uh, social prestige and, uh, an em- you know, excessive striving after money. And much like for the Buddhist, there's an emphasis on just living in the now, enjoying the free things, um, you know, and a great suspicion of, of ego and of excessive hierarchy. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, for one, like all people get out uh, it's healthy ambition but like all people sometimes that creeps into something a bit unhealthy a desire to be better than others and the Taoists are really good at kind of poking fun at that they recognize those desires in themselves and in others and then they poke fun at them and so it can be really refreshing to read through and you find yourself sort of chuckling along going oh yeah i am a bit mm. like that but i see that i shouldn't be
0: yeah no, I, this this really and and Christianity does that to some extent. There's this sort of blend of hum- humility and confidence, to hold to be held in tension. But the confidence is in Christ, and the, that keeps should keep us humble. Um, but again, having that foundation, because there's now uh, it's common. Uh, I might be wrong in this, but in Buddhism, there's there's a sense of losing yourself, isn't isn't there to to completely. Um, become one with everything else. So yourself isn't actually necessarily valuable. Is that is that a right interpretation of, of yeah of that? Yeah.
1: So so for, for for traditional Buddhism, does it? And again, there's lots of different denominations, and some of them mix it in with Hindu beliefs and indigenous folk religions. Mm-hmm. If you kind of take, well, right, maybe they would object to me toagram like, if We take pure Buddhism. Going back to the hmm. court, he subscribed to what's called a bundle theory of the self. Okay, and what that says is all that you are is a collection of properties, but there's nothing having those properties. So there is a body, and that's got various parts attached to it. There is thought, there is feeling, there is sense experience. There's all of that, but there's no I having those sense experiences. That's an right. illusion, um, and so what the, the sort of quest for enlightenment is to see that as an illusion. And what you then discover is actually you're not separate to everything else. You're just one particular bit of an enormous whole. In a sense, there isn't to you. And so, if have you have any of you guys seen the Good Place? Yes,
0: I keep hearing about a, it, but I've not watched it yet.
1: Describing the wave on the ocean that's a buddhist metaphor right really you're just a wave on the ocean and the wave could think oh i'm separate to the ocean and i'm going to strive and hold myself together and try and avoid going back into the ocean because i'm a separate thing and i'm going to worry about myself and keep myself big Or the wave could go actually you know what i'm just water just like everything else i'm not really a distinct thing and i'm just going to let go and then i'm going to dissolve back into the ocean which is all i ever really truly was and that's what chidi is talking about this idea that really we're just parts of the universe, we kind of cling together, trying to hold ourselves in existence. But if we can learn to sort of let go, we'll find release and freedom, and we'll become one with everything.
0: Hmm.
1: And so, yeah. as you can see, though, there are bits of that where as Christians we would nod along, like suspicion of the ego and of becoming lesser for us so that God can become greater. But there are but you do need to draw back from some of the final bits you couldn't um because for example if you if you want to believe in a, in a, in a personal afterlife you're not going to get that in buddhism
0: no. because
1: what happens is you dissolve back into ultimate reality the whole point for the buddhist is interestingly is part of you goes no i want to i don't want to die. i don't want to go back into reality well that's because you're living under the illusion that you already exist which according to bliss you don't not in the way you think you do until you overcome it and then you so and, that, and that's all you may have heard people talking about Buddhist Buddhist nihilism and things like that. Mm. There is a sort of degree of almost suicidalness to Buddhism.
2: Is yep. is a view like that sort of falsifiable? Because it seems, I mean, it seems at least to a Western person seems incredibly counterintuitive to um to to think of oneself as not a self. Um, so it wouldn't
1: it wouldn't be falsifiable on scientific grounds or you'd ever do for example if if that's what you mean by falsifiable because all you would ever be doing in the science is picking up a particular property so you could measure a body or you could measure a brain wave and the buddhists would go yeah there are brain waves there are bodies there's just nobody having the brain waves and having the body so they're making a higher level conceptual claim whether Hmm. there are philosophical ways of demonstrating that it's false well <laughs> that kind of takes you right up into d- debates that have been raging for you know thousands of years yeah well, i can't give you a nice neat no, answer that's, that's i guess no, I, just, I guess my take though would be you've either got to be buddhist in terms of your concept of the self or you've got to be i'll say abrahamic in terms of your concept of the self either there is a self and it's actually going to have some pretty quirky properties like it may in fact be immaterial and immortal at least in elements of it mm. that then leads us on to aristotelian mystic philosophy also i think that's one option or yeah okay i think you could subscribe to bundle theory but then you're going to have to go all the way and become a proper uh, buddhist so i i mm have a, a sort of grudging respect for them like actually if i didn't subscribe to this view of personhood i'd subscribe to that view but i, I don't
0: <laughs> yeah
2: so you said the you said the word abrahamic um so that might be a good sort of segue to maybe talking about um you know how christians should view the other abrahamic religions you know are they uh completely false are there you know is it? Why is it worth spending our time trying to understand them? Should we just focus on Christianity? Uh, you know, what? Um, you know, is there any value in in really studying and and, and looking for what's good within them?
0: Before, before other, we go that, into that, because oh, that's oh, a really important question. Sorry, I'm just going to explain to those listening on the podcast and uh those not in the UK at the moment that the. The fireworks in the background are because we're recording this on Bonfire Night. So if you hear any popping, it's uh, fireworks going on. We're not under attack, Um, but just just to let you know that that's going on in the background of uh, probably all three (laughs) of us at various points in time. Um, Sorry. So great question, Dan. So going into Abrahamic faiths, how do we how do we handle them, Um, Richard? Over to you. Well,
1: I mean, you may well know more about this than than me you've got more of a background in theology as opposed to philosophy but I guess off the off the bat what I would say is you've, you've definitely got to take Judaism seriously because one mm-hmm. could argue that Christianity is an absolutely enormous Jewish sect in that sense how it was first perceived and you can't understand the Old Testament without understanding Judaism, you can't understand most of Jesus' claims about understanding Judaism's and their expectations about the Messiah and about the end times and things like that so you've absolutely got to take Judaism really seriously. Mm. And I know that one of the debates that rages in contemporary Christian theology, and it's one of the things that Catholics are very interested in in the context of Vatican II, for example, do, should we be proselytizing the Jews? Because there are some Christians who think that we shouldn't, because they say the Old Testament covenant, the Old Covenant, is still in place. And if it's working for them, Leave them to it. And if they want to come over to the new covenant, so to speak, I'm sure I'm theologically committing some error here, but you get what I'm driving at. You
0: know,
1: so they would actually say, no, no, in a sense, Judaism is completely true, even in its sort of current form. And, I, I, and now that's obviously open to debate. There are some Christians, I think, who would hate that idea and would say, no, we need to proselytize to them as much as we do any other religion. And we can't just ignore them because they, they are very closely related to us. In, you know, logically, and then I would say that in Islam, yeah, you, it is less of a need to study it because we don't need to understand Islam per se to understand our own um, tradition. But I would say if you if you're not at least open, or as maybe so we say, as a religious community, if we're not open to studying Islamic thought, you do miss out on some pretty good gems. So I I teach a module on medieval Islamic thought, and mostly that's on the medieval Islamic philosophy. You, you may have heard of the Islamic golden age when they were leading the world in terms of medicine and philosophy and theology and all of that sort of thing. And some of their philosophy is absolutely, I mean, you know, whether it works or not, we can debate, but some of it is really, really interesting on a par with the work, you know, the work of Avicenna is on a par with the work of Aquinas, I would say. Hmm. And so, and, and and a lot of the arguments as Christians we can just accept as apologetic arguments. And so, you know, you've got William Lane Craig's Kalam Cosmological Argument, right? Well, That, that comes from Muslim theology or Muslim philosophy. So if you just disregarded that, we wouldn't have that gem. Hmm. I would definitely say, I, certainly for me, I would say the Muslim philosophy has been helpful. I haven't engaged so much with other elements of it hmm. personally. Um, whether that I think, continues, I, I don't know, but so. Uh,
0: Engaging with um, the sort of Islamic side of things is often interesting from the perspective of what they've picked up on uh, from potentially Christian sects at that time later on down the line in Christian history. Um, Just hearing, uh, you can kind of see it in in the Quran, that there's some basic understanding of Trinitarian theology, but not quite there. (laughs) Uh, And so understanding... And that, that's the go-to for for Muslims when they're attacking Christian faith is is the Trinity generally, um, and so having some understanding of uh, of what they think and why that's an incorrect understanding of of Trinity um, is is an interesting way to go. Um, yeah, I, I've I've found it really really helpful to engage with Judaism uh more and and I'm very fortunate to be able to chat to a, a very well read and um yeah great great guy who's a who's a rabbi and um he's heads up the chaplaincy team and we 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 have a holy book club that we read uh ms um bit from the quran or the hadiths um a bit from the hebrew bible and a bit from uh the new testament and um, we kind of go through different themes, and and listening to obviously the Hebrew Bible and the explanation that goes alongside it f- from a Jew, <laughs> it's quite amazing. It's like, oh, okay. And, I, and I've I've watched a couple YouTube clips where you've got um, sort of evangelicals interacting with Jews, and it's fascinating watching evangelical squirm because they just don't understand the old testament mm. um they don't understand the the rich history of tradition that, that uh, and how jews interpret the scriptures um and then yeah as you say ha- how we then understand jesus's claims how we um even under un- understand our own translations comes into an understanding of what's come before christianity and, and what christianity is really built up off um so i've in my own faith i have found that incredibly refreshing to engage with that and where you've got random but also challenging passages mm. like you've got the psalm where it says kiss the sun <laughs> and people are like hey look it's jesus in the psalms and and you're like well no <laughs> actually uh you start listening a, a little bit more and you realize actually it's a bad translation most likely to be about homage, and then you start having to really unpick and go, well, okay, if that's not Jesus in the Psalms, I mean, Jesus is in the Psalms, I do believe that there are verse, verses and passages and chapters where you can, it's very much pointing to a crucifixion, in my understanding, but wrestling with that and wrestling with someone who, who disagrees with you is really vital and healthy, yeah. I think, uh, for, uh, for getting that grounding.
2: You, you're spot on. I'm glad you got that up because... I, I I love reading like Jewish thinkers. One of my favorite thinkers is Rabbi Jonathan Sachs. I think he's uh, an amazing philosopher uh, and theologian, sort of just public intellectual. And he, um, you know, the way he opens up the Old Testament scriptures is just, I think, should be mandatory for Christians to just read. Um, you know, Jewish commentators on on the Old Testament, and the point you made about the, the Psalms. Um, you know when we talking about kiss kiss the sun one one of the risks is christians have this tendency obviously in some sense we should but reading the bible christocentrically so we're we're but but to the point that some christians are trying to find him where he isn't you know uh, and being very creative in the way they're looking at um, certain old testament scriptures and you read a lot of apologetics work sometimes that's looking for these um you know these prophecies of of christ in the old testament and a lot of them are just they're just wrong they're embarrassingly wrong um and um there's some that there, there, you know there is some great great stuff in there you know especially in isaiah you know that's why we call it the you know, people talk about it as the fifth gospel but yeah. um in, in a lot of places it's a real stretch and and it's it's our our commitment to trying to find christ in there that we that we uh, we create him in places where, um, that's just not the case. And I think you just read, you just read some Jewish commentaries and listen to some Jewish thinkers and you realize, Oh no, I I think they're, I think they're right. And the case in point is the one, the one you mentioned, I think.
0: Mm. Yeah. So uh, yeah. Oh, kind of where, where to go from here. So we, we need to find somewhere where we disagree, because it then means that the conversation I've, goes. I've got one. <laughs> I've, got, I've got one for Richard. So it's just right. So, Richard, so what, what, are you, what? are you sort of in terms of? We
2: all agree that there are there's um, good things in other religions, and there, there are things that are true in, in other religions. But in terms of um, when people talk talk about sort of um, you know, inclusivism, so there's sort inclusivism, pluralism on the other end, and exclusivism. Okay, so if we look at other um, other religions, like what, what's your kind of view on those things? So uh, we can agree, you, you seem pluralism, pluralism is false. So in terms of sort of soteriological inclusivism or or uh, exclusivism, you know, are there some people that you know who have never heard of Christ? You know, um, somewhere in an island in the I don't know in the Pacific somewhere, they're worshiping their deity. Uh, but actually, an include a theological inclusivist could say, well, actually, maybe if if they had heard of Christ, if someone had told them, so actually, they're worshiping Christ ontologically. Um, they just don't know it, you know. So someone like Karl Rahner would say, you know, they're um, you know anonymous Christians, um, mm. so they don't know they're Christians, but actually, they are worshiping Christ. So what what what, what do you think about? Because a lot of that's when. Um, I think a lot of Christians become very
1: uncomfortable with that notion.
2: And I think, uh, yeah, I'd be interested in your, your thoughts on that.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, so when I when I first became a Christian, it was in an evangelical context. And then I moved into an Anglican context and now I'm beginning to move into more almost a Catholic context. Well, not a Catholic context now. So I attend a Catholic church now. Um, and sort of the official line of the Catholic Church is is an inclusivist line, and that particular element of it, I've always, I've always instinctively felt, even when I was an evangelical, I've always found exclusivism. I, I think it can be made um, logically coherent. I agree; it's an it's an intellectual possibility, and I know that William Main Craig has done a sort of, in the same way that planting has responded with a defense to the problem of evil, being the free will defense. Ray's been a defense of the problem of the unevangelized, explaining how it can be just that those who have never heard the gospel are, are damned, even though it looks like on the face of it, they could never have accepted the gospel. Do no fault to their own, and yeah, I agree. He's kind of got a he's got a way of understanding that, whereby yeah, okay, exclusivism is not incompatible with the goodness and love of God. I I agree, but still, I find that deeply, uh, intuitively and emotionally unsatisfying. And certainly, when I read about people of other faiths and other religions, some of them. It seems to me, you know, they were on to something. They had something. When you hear about the lives of some of the some of the Sikh gurus, now, I'm not a historian here, so I don't know how, you know, those are probably being given to us through rose-tinted glasses. It's probably a story that the Sikhs want to tell us. Okay, but if even half of what they say about some of the gurus is true, this absolute love of God, this absolute love of mankind, Belief in absolute equality between men and women, and between the different races and castes, and an absolute submittance to God's will—I sort of think I just can't. I just can't personally get my head around the idea of Him arriving at the Pearly Gates and God going, "Yeah, but you know, you you didn't affirm the Trinity in the right way." I just, I just can't get because most Christians don't don't really. Most Christians are, are modalists, yeah. if you talk about it. Most Christians don't understand the Trinity deep down. And so I just I, and again when you read about some of the Taoists, they, they had this, this just this utter peace and and love about them. And I just think, okay, yeah, okay, is it is it possible? Yeah, okay, it's possible that they're all damned because, and we can make some distinction between the natural revelation and the, you know, on and you know, revealed theology, and we can do do all of that. But hmm. I don't know on the face of it, as an yeah, and my perspective is limited but on the face of it you know they look like they're more holy than me so if they don't stand a chance and i certainly don't stand a chance so i at least need to be open to that possibility and, and so just a satisfying just, place to be first
2: so just going back to to, to so my understanding of william n craig is he would say because he's an, uh, an an exclusivist yes. his understanding is that we're in the best possible world so where the greatest number of people would have been exposed would have heard the gospel um, and so those that haven't wouldn't have heard the gospel in any possible universe or, or some, th- something akin to that yeah, it, I can't quite remember it's been years since I've looked at that
1: off off the top of my head and I don't want to misrepresent him but off the top of my head I think he distinguishes between um something like what he calls the natural revelation of God in the natural world and then Sort of revelation of God to the gospel, and what he says is everybody who would say yes to either the natural revelation or the gospel, God foreknows that they will say yes to either the natural revelation or the gospel and places them in either a Christian or a Jewish context, depending on the old New Testament. And everybody then who didn't hear the gospel would have rejected it had they heard it and he also thinks they've rejected the natural revelation of god That so when they arrive at the pearly gates not only they can't they can turn around to god and say well i never heard the gospel so i could never say yes that's true but you also explicitly rejected the natural revelation and that's mm-hmm. the second that's the second bit i just don't buy there are some thinkers out there from other you know again i've been reading um Changzu and Lao Tzu, recently to Taoist thinkers. It seems to me they got about as close to Christianity as you can get without the gospel, purely by well, I, I don't know. I don't know how they did it. Hmm.
0: <laughs> some That's form a of rele- revelation maybe
1: one wonders whether God might have given them a hint. <laughs> you know, hmm. Whether there was some something some inner spirit, shall we say, sent by God to prompt them towards saying things that that are quite and I just and so, so just for me, that's where I always come back to. I think that's, I yeah, think that but, right. Now,
0: that sounds right from what I've, I've got on uh, William Craig, Craig's sort of thing. I, I think for, for me, not to go on any camp, I think, I think the, the Bible is quite, it, it doesn't really explore <laughs> that too much in detail uh, the, the people that have not heard uh, there's there's the space in there for potential like you can dig in if if you want but the for, for me it's reliance on god's character as revealed through scripture which is that he is just he is merciful he it it's on his grace that we lean fully to have access to the tree of life to immortality through through christ we seek immortality through him Um, and, and so, I mean, I'm not Catholic. So as a, as a Protestant, I'd be very much justification by faith and, uh, that whole conversation is for another day, but very much see, uh, a lot of overlap between the two two camps of Protestantism, Catholicism, but it's, but I, I think for my, for the sort of other religions and those that have not heard the gospel, I, I don't think I'm satisfied with William Lane Craig's response. Um, and I, I think there is space for... And maybe I'm put, stretching things a little bit further, but from my, my reading, there's a space that people will respond to God at some point. They They will meet God and they will be able yeah. to respond to him in full.
2: The, the, there's definitely a presumption in the bible that everyone needs to hear the gospel that does seem mm-hmm. like a, you know you read you read acts there is there is that presumption there is that everyone needs to um to hear the gospel um and and, and like you said for this, there's so many unanswered questions you know do you do you know from that does it follow that exclusivism is true um because i can see that, you know the issues of justice coming is well if if someone in a remote part of the world would have uh, would have responded to the gospel if they'd heard it, but no one ever shares it with them, then there is a sense in which that seems obviously unjust. If if that is an ultimate requirement, um, you know, for for salvation, um, and so that you know, William Lane Craig sort of. Uh, Uh, his argument is an attempt to try and resolve that, isn't it? That This sense that um, that that's not we can understand that in a way that is not unjust. Um, And this is one of those questions I don't really I've stopped giving too much thought because there's there's we don't know. Because, yeah, I mean, you're right. You know what William Cranley's argument is a pretty tight philosophical case. It can make sense. But there is a sense in which it seems um, again just because it's uncomfortable isn't it's not true but people who appear to um love god um live sacrificially um and um but they're complete they could be completely completely mistaken there's a innate sort of uncomfortableness i think a lot of people have i have i don't i don't i don't i don't really know i was just interested to see what 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 people thought really and what's the difference between the sort of I think one of the criticisms that people level against inclusivism is that um, what's the real difference between inclusivism and pluralism really in, in, in a sense because you can say on one hand and say oh, yeah Christ is unique you know absolutely Christ is is the one you find at the top of top of the the top of the mountain but um, it, it, it pragmatically it seems very very similar well yeah
1: yeah but I've never but just yeah, it, on from a pragmatic point of view, both theories allow for the possibility that you'd arrive up in heaven and there'd be people of lots of different faiths there. but the mechanism by which they're getting there, the sort of ontology of it all, is completely different and and that's you know, it's still. No inclusivist is denying, because if they're denying this, they're not an inclusivist, they're pluralist. No inclusivist is denying that everybody is saved through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Nobody's. De- nobody's. They're not denying that, and that definitely makes them inclusivists, not pluralists, because pluralists would hold that whatever story that particular religion tells, that's how they get into heaven. But yeah. inclusivists would explicitly deny that. So there's a really, so yeah, okay, in practical terms, In terms of what you see when you arrive at the pearly gates yeah there may not be much difference but there's a there's a heck of a difference beneath the surface and that's important and the the other the other distinction i sort of hear um people levying against inclusiveness is that it removes um the sort of need to spread the gospel i think that's a better argument but i still don't See why it would it would remove the need in, in sort of entirely, shall we say? There still be a pressing need because people still need to know about the good news now, and they still want to dedicate their lives. but this life still matters. And if we can get to know God now, then that's still a good thing. Certainly, non- n- inclusivists shouldn't rule out the possibility that some people might be saved because they hear the gospel. They would just say it's possible that those who haven't heard the gospel have been yeah. saved. And yeah. so I just. It just and similarly also it it sort of seems to me that uh, I'll be cautious here, but it seems to me that one could push back and say, actually, the problem with exclusivism is it puts too much of the burden on us saving ourselves. Because all of a sudden Mm -hmm. it's down to my are my efforts up to me to go and save that person. Well that's not that's not about the grace of God, primacy of grace. It's God who saves us. And so yeah, he invites us to participate in that process. But if the burden is all on us You've literally got to spread it to absolutely everybody. Yeah. I, so I mean I again I, I mean I have some I can see where they're coming from with this idea that it makes the need to spread the gospel less pressing. I can see that. But I've never I don't think it would in as much as I do evangelize,
0: make me do it more or less beside that debate I came down on. I hmm. think they- I think it's again for me It's just sitting, <laughs> sitting in the middle. Uh, I don't tend to label myself inclusive, exclusive. Maybe I'm a bit of both. It's the same with how I sit on the uh, Arminian Calvinism sort of fence. I, I try not to label. I see that the Bible holds these things in tension somewhat. Um, and so I, I kind of try and fit my theology in that tension. Um, that, yeah, that we're, we're called to go. And, and share the gospel and the good news while also reliant on God's grace and mercy for those who we don't necessarily reach because it's not about us <laughs> um, doing that. Um, I'm, I'm aware of time uh, and there's a few questions in the chat uh, just to, um, yeah, I'm not sure we're going to hit all of them as we've, we've not got few, that, I think the first one long. was
2: about um, about what you think is the, the strongest philosophical argument for God.
0: Yeah. Newer. Yeah. That's the start there. So I had to scroll back up. Yeah. So what? What argument for God's existence do you think is the strongest? That's a bit I mean, boring, oh.
1: <laughs> but I do like <laughs> that trans- <laughs> <or> trans-
0: <laughs> argument.
1: I do like that one. That's one of my favourites. Um, I think that my. That being said, I I'm a Thomist myself, an, an Aristotelian slash Thomist. And so I do think Aquinas' five ways are, um, I think on purely philosophical grounds, they might even be stronger than the Kalam cosmological arguments. So I think unlike the Kalam cosmological argument, they get you to the classical god of theism um, rather than just some form of creator god. I think that in terms of the, the sort of gut punch of the argument and how persuasive it is for, uh, you know your average person on the street if you're trying to give them a battle off a quick argument to show them the plausibility to Christian faith, then yeah, I think the Kalam cosmological argument takes some beating, um, but I think all Christians should definitely study Aquinas' five ways, and I'd say all five, um, they're difficult, the first three are relatively straightforward, you can get your head around those relatively quickly, I would say, um, I, I have got a video on that on my YouTube channel, if you want to watch yeah. it, and I will do some more at yeah. some stage. Um, the fourth the fifth way is a little bit harder but again when you kind of when it clicks into place it's like actually that's a really good argument and about a year or two ago i finally got my head around the fourth way and actually that's a really good argument and they really do get you to the classical god of theism not just some greater god and so i think in some ways they're, they're philosophically stronger even if from the point of view of
0: apologetics uh, they're less effective because they're more complicated I think yeah. Just to point. I started listening to your Aquinas. Uh, I, I started it. I haven't finished it, but it's very accessible. At least the starting point is um, the way you're presenting it and the sort of interaction with your uh, the person that you're talking to, how they're being the student. I, th- I thought that was quite a nice little setup. Um, another question comes through, just in, in the fact that you've you're now part of a Catholic Church. Um, what what's led you? into that direction. Uh, Was it specific philosophers or, um, yeah, you see the question on the screen.
1: Yeah, so my my PhD supervisor was David Odeberg, who's also a well-known Catholic philosopher, who's very good friends with Fesser. So they had a big influence on my philosophical development and then I ended up becoming a Thomist. And then it, if you guys want to have another conversation about it at some stage, I'll happily come on and talk about it. Um, but mm. I guess what I, I ended up continually having Catholics come into my life, even though I was uh, evangelical and an Anglican. There's endless Catholics, just endless. i was working with them. I was studying with them. Um, and so that just kept me having a debate. And one of the things that I eventually decided and, and still think and still hold, actually the differences are not as big as you think they are. Um, I noticed you, we talked about justification by faith alone. There's a sense in which, there's a sense, and I need to be really careful here, there's a sense in which Catholics can affirm that. Oh, it's about the fulfillment of faith. What we both emphasize, for example, though, is the primacy of grace. And so when you kind of dig into it, you discover actually, no, hold on, a sophisticated Protestant theology and sophisticated Catholic theology, they're actually pretty similar. There's a few moving parts, but they're they're in the same sort of ballpark. And so I discovered that actually I kind of agree with most of what the Catholics say on most things. And then the final s- sorts of issues was the Mary stuff and uh, some stuff about the authority, sort of teaching authority of the church, what gives the church that authority. And I won't go into that now, partly because I can't do it all off the top of my head. <laughs> I would say Dr. Brant Peter does some really good stuff on Mary. Um,
2: He's he's a called, great new uh, I think it's called Jesus well. and the Jewish
1: Roots of Mary. He's got some really good stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I read a book by a woman called Linda Zagzebski. She she's, she's an a great, American yeah, she's a yeah. And she, she wrote a book about epistemic authority, which I think is called Epistemic Authority. And in the end, I decided that actually the disc of it is that we're being called and that the epistemically smart thing to do is to do it as a community. So the question is, which community can cl- trace its origins back to the apostles? And then I think the short answer is if you're Protestant, you trace it back to the Reformation. The Catholic or Orthodox, you're in with a shout. And then, and I'll leave it there. But it was hmm. those sorts of arguments. The journey. Ultimately, there's a sense, I'd say, I, an, I, the sense in which I don't think it matters so much, the sense in which the difference is, in a sense, I, I now... Don't care as much as i used to <laughs> because i don't think that the differences, as i said between a sophisticated Protestant and catholic theology are actually that significant but those are the broad strokes and if you guys want to have me on again at some stage mm, yeah, i'll need to
0: yeah i need interesting. to rush
1: up on some of it because some of it's <laughs> rushed in my head and it's not my some of it's not my primary field but i'd happily uh, do my best
2: yeah talk about <laughs> Catholicism and the and the five ways it would be good I often, because I have a real interest, like I'm a big fan of the Jesuits uh, and um, like I always try and read like the case, I've got like close family, my grandparents are, are Roman Catholics and I always try and read like what's the best case for, for Catholicism and so I've read stuff like books by Trent Horn and Scott Hahn and like I always find it's always the same. Um, I read, the I get about halfway and I'm like no, I'm on board, yep. Yeah. Um, i agree 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 and then it just gets to a point i'm like no no no, no. <laughs> this is weird but i can i can see how you get here and then the last third of all the books i'm like no i can't do it i can't i can't do it i, I don't I, I just can't i can't land there and it's just funny because it's the same in every book i'm like no i can do this i'm gonna become a catholic and then and then it just it just drifts further and further away towards the end it's like Mary and there's praying to saints and and uh, some other other stuff, but I'm not going to get into it now. But it's just funny yeah, because yeah. it's just it just it just always guess, it
1: always happens. I guess the only thing I'd say, although you know you're you're as you know experienced in all this as I am, and and you know you're a smart guy. I don't want to you, but that's kind of the situation I was. And I'd say if you keep going, which is what I did, you going, <laughs> one day you'll get to the end of the book and you'll be like, wait a minute.
0: Wait, mm, wait I do think the Pope is That's infallible. What
1: wait, yeah, <laughs> and that I then had a major like mental breakdown for about three days because I couldn't cope with the fact that I might be a Catholic. <laughs> so I just I just had this vision that thought weird. On, I can't be a Catholic. Um, but yeah, that was about a year ago now, and um.
0: Yeah, I'm still yeah, I'm still yeah, going. Yeah. Still going. Still love Jesus. God hasn't oh. struck
1: me down
0: yet, so <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Well, yeah, it's good. Good to know, actually, because uh, it, it is good having these conversations. And uh, so, yeah, very much for having that conversation. I mean, we're talking about other religions as it is, so it's only helpful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're just we're just broadening it. Denominations. I mean, of course, uh, uh, just be teasing. There's, there's this question here uh, from The Programmer. As a self-learning layman with a nine to five, which books would you recommend for the layman to start on philosophy and biblical studies?
1: Well, I won't weigh in on the biblical studies book um, as that's not my area mm. of expertise. Um, in terms of the philosophy, um, again, very boring, but you, you you know, good place to start is with William Lane Craig. Um, he's got a lot of, uh, you know, lots of introduction to apologetics, odd reasonable faith books like that. And I would, and and you can watch his debates, and you can look at his free articles. And then I would say that when you begin to feel more comfortable with his sort of arguments, then I would say enter the world of um, Aquinas and people like that. Do that through people like Fessa, So has got a book called Aquinas, An Introduction. Um, a little bit, I would say that's kind of a step up. We we'll start with Esther and then, and then Aquinas. And then and then actually, with, once you've mastered that, then you can actually move into some pretty high level academic stuff. Um, and you can read really academic books written for an academic audience. So I would say, yes, yeah, start with great stuff. Start with books like On Guard. Look at his mm. debates. look at some of his free articles on, on the internet. Then move on to reasonable faith and then step up to Fesser. And I say this because this is kind of the route that I took, although I did this as part of my studies. But yeah. and then and then Fessa, start with Fesser's sort of stuff aimed at undergraduates and at the lay audience, such as Aquinas and Introduction, and then you can move up to his sort of an introduction to scholastic metaphysics, and then then you're away. And then you can come and teach me to be honest with
0: that's cool uh, biblical studies wise <laughs> I mean, i'm entry level still that's something that i'd like to dig into a little bit more but i've found uh john walton particularly helpful um and accessible with his lost world books um and uh, that's pretty much i mean i've done a bit of michael hayes heiser, heiser, heiser. <laughs> um, i guess i would
1: say um i have read some nt wright
0: Yes, love. Anti-right, yeah.
1: persuasive to me.
0: Mm. Um, yeah.
1: Well, yeah, yeah. I'll get so. that. Anti-right Ant- Ant- is, is in. I've I've read some stuff by him, and yeah, that's probably the yep. most academic stuff. And then, I mean, um you know, Lee Strobel does quite a. Ni- I mean, it's a it's a lay introduction, but it's quite a nice
0: it's way a of thinking point.
1: in those sorts of ways. um so.
0: yeah, and if, if you're talking about lay people to get you stuck into. Just keeping it accessible as well, but also well, uh, round, well grounded. Uh, someone like John Stott is also helpful for uh, accessing. Um, Lee Strobel, as we've said before on this podcast, is, is very much a uh, sort of gateway to loads of other people just through his interviews and and things like that. So even if you're not sure about where Lee stands, it's the the access to the other names. Um, Dan, have you got any any names on the biblical studies front?
2: I do a biblical studies like um, like I always find like. Like the IVP Bible background commentaries, I think are yeah. really good from a sort of biblical studies perspective because um, just helps you you know, can't really understand the Bible, you don't understand the sort of culture and uh, who, it was, who it was originally written for and to, you know, well, written for yeah. all of us, but to different people. And so I think that uh, they're usually quite helpful, I think. And, uh, and there's a New Testament one uh, that's edited by Craig Keener, I think and a, yeah, an old it's one, it's John John Walton and a couple of other people I can't can't, can't yeah. quite remember but they they're really great
0: resources. For the for the New Testament wise there's um Kenneth Bailey is good the um Jesus through Middle Eastern eyes well there's a, um, there's a, just a new source recommending that
2: there's a new New Testament book which I think is like going to be the uh it's the big the big thing at the moment with with um, NT Wright and Oh, Who's the Australian New Testament scholar? Oh, I it, saw that. He, I heard it on. Yeah, that's, 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 I haven't read it, but I'm, I've, I've listened to him talk about it on a podcast. I know it's become very, very popular quite quickly. And there's a DVD series that goes along with it. That, that for, for New Testament, that would be the, if you could only get one book, uh,
0: uh, other Bible a... for the New Testament. It's that's something theology, it. but I can't remember what it's called.
2: Oh, I can't remember it. And I can't remember his name. I'm going to.
0: If you talk, I'm going to find it on Amazon. Yeah, you, you do that. Um, yeah. So th- thanks for those questions. There's there's one more question here for you, um, Richard. I'm aware that we we are close to our final question time. Have you got time for one more question before our final question? Let's go for um, it. So what do you think of the argument for God's existence using the applicability of mathematics? I think I was speaking out of my... Um, uh oh that was an interesting one there on the on the chat uh
1: the same guy though who was asking about entry-level philosophy books
0: yeah i think he's just trying to keep us talking (laughs)
1: talking
0: (laughs) i think he's trying to keep us talking (laughs) uh um, this 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 is their um yeah that's also what came up with uh let's keep firing (laughs) questions in so they have to keep going so there's there's that uh the programmer in london theater often on the on the on the chat so um they very london, good friends up. of the show
1: oh hi hi london
0: he, <laughs> yeah no, he's um yeah. he was on the show a couple couple shows ago so yeah good to chat with with dean um so yeah do, are you aware of i'm not sure where dan's gone at the moment or he's just having problems with his camera um are, are you aware of of this argument have you uh,
1: yeah yeah so my and i'm i'm not uh I know that I know that, again that Craig's been doing some work on it recently and I know that the gist of the argument is it's a it's a it starts from the observation that mathematics is a very good way of describing the physical world and that's where our whole sort of scientific discipline of physics comes from and that that is quite a remarkable thing if the universe is just a sort of mindless brute fact that suggests that it was designed uh, to be intelligible, and that suggests hmm. a designer and a, an intelligible mind behind it. Um, and so in that sense, it seems to me it's, it's part of that great tradition of sort of teleological-style arguments. And I would say, yeah, I am, I'm absolutely open to those sorts of arguments. I think they're onto something. And I think the the fact that the universe, and and you often see atheists, I've seen Christians use this argument against atheists, and they often kind of dismiss it. But actually, it's a really interesting observation, which is, and which most ancient societies didn't make, and other other world religions don't make it. At least, I mean, now they kind of got some of it from us, from from the West, from the scientific method that developed over here. So now now they do. But if you look at it in there philosophy a lot of eastern thought didn't think that the world was intelligible. they didn't think that ultimately it could be understood or broken down or conceptualized Mm -hmm. and but it is and it can be and the evidence of that is the success of science and that is a really interesting um feature that demands that cries out for some form of explanation because why on earth would that be if it was all just blind mindless chance why would well behave in a regular law-like way and why would even if you can explain that why would some apes who emerged you know on the sahara two hundred thousand years ago who were a bit smarter than the other apes why would we all of a sudden be able to unlock that and that's got to get you thinking at the very least
0: so i'm okay, not expecting it, should, in it, it but
1: be. i i absolutely think i it would be a fruitful and interesting uh mm. you
0: know
1: Thing to study more at some stage. Some When I get the time, at some stage I will read up on that more, but I think it strikes me as a good starting point.
0: Yeah. Unless your rational rationality rules and you think you've debunked Craig in a in a 15-20-minute video, there's always that. <laughs> <laughs> Just another YouTuber. If you haven't come across him, don't worry. Um, but yeah, there's there's a channel that thinks it's debunked already. Um, so yeah, I and anything else you want to add, Dan, before we uh, close to our last question?
2: No, I mean, there's there's so much the the, the good thing about talking About you, which is you have uh, you have a lot of expertise in other areas. Stuff there's also pro life stuff as well. The five ways would be a great thing to talk about the Catholicism mm. thing as well. So I think we'll, we'll we'll definitely have to to get you get you back. And and I apologize for some of the, the left field questions of this. It's just that it's one of those when it comes to different religions, it's one of those things that i I kind of think about, but no one none no really talks about it very often. It's not like a church we talk about you know people talk about how we understand different religions, so you're kind of left to to think about it and I think it's often one of those topics where a lot of Christians end up having some quite strange uh beliefs mm-hmm. because because Christians don't really talk about it there's sort of unless unless uh you know everyone's a sort of rabid exclusivist um you, you, you know and but culturally, pluralism is kind of the the view that a lot of people embrace um it's interesting people can there's this uh, this alternative you know inclusivism is, is kind of a way that almost takes the 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 best elements of both in a way um mm-hmm. that, and it still uh can be can be faithful to to scripture um and and philosophically robust as, as as well um but i don't think i have anything to add other than yeah it's really interesting i think you made me want to look into Taoism a little bit more and um i have to be honest i've i've I, when it comes to reading Buddhism and Hinduism, I really, I, I genuinely, that was only last week I was reading a book, um, I think it's by Christopher, uh, I can't remember, Tal- Talifiero, a philosopher, I can't remember his name. Yeah. And he wrote a, I think, think it's Charles, on, isn't
1: it Charles? Charles,
2: Charles, Charles Talafiero, yeah. And um, I think it's St. Olaf's College or something where he's from. And um, on, on philosophy of religion, it had like chapters on on Hinduism and Buddhism. And I just I really have to push through because I can't once I start a book even if I'm not enjoying it, I have to carry on and I just <laughs> found it I found I just I got lost because it's so it's so foreign in a in a, in a in a in a in a philosophical sense like it's just I just find it so difficult to get my head around like mm. and I don't I don't enjoy reading it because it just doesn't I it, it doesn't feel like it has any relevance like I'm like oh I really appreciate that and listening how there's no self and I just think I just don't believe that And it, and it's it's it, it, it's it's really difficult to to probe too much further because it just seems absurd on a surface level, um, and I think maybe a lot of Christians find that to be, well, some obviously don't, but I think maybe a, a lot do. Where there's something about studying Islam and, and and Judaism that seems a little bit closer to home.
1: Yeah, yeah start with start with what you find interesting. I mean, that's mm. I mean, if it doesn't if it doesn't you know feed you spiritually intellectually or what have you and yeah I mean, you know, don't do it but I would say that there's some really good stuff out there and I would recommend Taoism I love a bit of Taoism mm. I'm, 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 <laughs> really I'm always I you know I never want to say I would never say something like I'm a Christian Taoist because that I hate it when people do that you can't combine yeah, two it doesn't separately. work but there's a little bit of me like, yeah, I'm a Christian Taoist. <laughs> 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 I'm not saying that. <laughs> yeah. No, not
0: saying no that. we're not we're not putting those labels. That's um yeah. I'll put the it's YouTube been...
2: tag Christian yeah, Taoist which you play
0: for it. I'll, I'll, I'll put it I'll put it into the description, uh, just as he's uh, described <laughs> no. himself as. Um and it's, it's been really interesting and I, I find you know One thing that I've found really enlightening uh, even in the last few years in engaging with international students is finding the strongest arguments for the religions that you're engaging with, but doing so, I I really like how you put it at the start, cautiously, doing so cautiously, knowing, having... the the best Christian thinkers as your friends in in the form of their books if they're dead <laughs> or if you can get in touch with them do, do so but have have the best Christian thinkers around you while you engage with these other religions and see how to critique them how to engage with them well uh, not just sort of take in hook line and sinker and um, uh, with things like I I completely understand what you, you you're saying there Dan um, with things like Hinduism. I uh, I struggle with just trying to get my head around how can multiple things be true because <laughs> that's that's pretty much the concept for Hinduism is and and talking to Hindu students they'll be like oh this is this is great tell me about your your faith and I'm quite happy to set up a shrine to Jesus alongside <laughs> my shrine to uh, whichever uh, God and. And then you go, well, that's not how Jesus works. <laughs> it just doesn't, how, how can I relate to that is, is really difficult. And then trying to wrestle with that. But um, I found that there's quite a few books out there that are written by Christians about another religion. And to be honest, I'm very critical of those books because they'll often paint a very, um, they, they won't let the, the religion speak for itself in some ways it's um i can't give you too much of this religion because you might find it too interesting so i'm going to just tame it for you and then present it and then um so it's yeah go going into it cautiously but finding strong arguments so you don't end up misrepresenting others is is really key um last question and any final comments richard and then we'll let we'll let you go um resources people we should know of that haven't been discussed already maybe um you'll sort of go to top top three or five depending on how how quick you want to (laughs) be
1: um oh
0: okay (laughs) uh
2: just sort of like you know favorite books you think christians to read or or maybe christian thinkers or they don't have to be christian thinkers thinkers that we you know people might not have heard of but would benefit from listening to engaging
0: with an in, a good intro to Taoism. Yeah that would be that would
1: be helpful. So Taoism uh there's a, there's a called the The Way of Chang which is by Thomas Merton. Now Thomas Merton was a Catholic uh Briar or monk of some stripe brother um at the early 20th century. Um and he was very interested in Eastern uh, religions um, and in, towards the end of his life he maybe went a little bit off the deep end and maybe did drift too much into a bit of syncretism, and so some people are a bit suspicious of him but he's got a lot of good stuff and one of them is called the way of kangzu and he's basically there's um, a book called Chinese philosophy called kangzu and there are different translations of it and what he did for sort of poetic reasons is he took Highlights of the different translations that he liked. He had a kind of a smattering of the, the Chinese himself, but mostly he just took like that translation. Really speaks to me. That translation really speaks to me. So it's more a book of poetry, little extracts, and it's about 150 pages of pithy little poems, usually no more than a page or two, or uh, and they and they might be anecdotes about the life of Changzu, or illustrations from nature, or you know stories about famous rulers that illustrate the sort of underlying philosophy of of Taoism and it never sort of it doesn't state them in a sort of formulaic way it kind of lets the um, lets the the message come through kind of like a parable I guess Um, and if you and on again on my YouTube channel I've I've, I've, I've got a video called Extract from the Way of Jiangsu where I read my top three so if you, you could start with that, and then I include a link to that in So Thomas Merton in the Way of Chang Zhu. Um, in terms of Taoism, you can find the, um, the Tao De Jing uh, or the Lao Tzu, as it's sometimes called, which is their foundational text. You can find that very easily online, and lots of translations. So just pick a, pick a modernish translation that will be relatively readable. You know, you're not you're not reading it primarily for absolute scholarly accuracy. You're reading it to get the gist of it. Um, but yeah, yeah, I'd say the way of the way of Chang Zhu, uh, the Tao Te Ching. Or the Tao Te Ching um, who else would I recommend? Uh, Brian Davies is a good uh, Christian philosopher. I don't know what denomination he's in, but he's a good uh, Christian philosopher. Um, I've referenced C.S. Lewis before now, but he I, I I sort of I feel like I've now got what I'm gonna get from him. But he was a really big part of my early Christian journey. I found he was very, he's very good at taking an issue. And when I was early on in my Christian journey, I, I would sort of dip from idea to idea and I'd find, I'd think of an issue and I'd get really sort of worked up about it and go, oh, maybe this is a, a big problem that, that no Christian in 2000 years has thought of. And then I just sit on my sofa thought of it. Which is absurd When I think about it like that, but, Lewis is a very good way of kind of breaking it down and saying, well, here are some of the different options. Here's the different way of seeing it. And just sort of very gently walking you through those ideas. And again, he's he's got his sort of philosophical apologetic books, but he's also got his fiction. And again, if you read them side by side, eventually you start to see lots of interesting patterns and observations. Um, hmm. And Again, yeah, if you're hard, if you're if you're philosophically uh, at a reasonably high level then David Odenberg is a good step if you like Ed Fesser and Co David a good, another good uh, route to go down but he very much right for an academic audience so mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't encourage that for uh,
0: beginners I'll, I'll, I'll probably give that one a pass <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> that's well above my head.
2: yeah real that's essentialism cool. would be a, a, an expensive mistake to make
1: Oh. <laughs> it's a very good have book. You, but yeah, it's, it's have you done that? Then? <laughs>
2: no, <laughs> I, I, I've had the greatest respect for Thomists, and I, I'm a. i am I, I want to be one. I just I can't. I can't get around it. But
1: I think that's a reasonable. Eleanor Stump, she's quite yeah. good. I, again, I think she might be Catholic, but I'm not sure. Um. If you're interested in what I've been reading recently, I've been reading some von Balthazar, which is interesting. I've heard good things.
2: But um, so, yeah, I don't know. Some, you're things. just naming Catholics.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm no not much. sure if they're Catholics. <laughs> I, I already mentioned N.T. Wright and I mentioned yes, Craig yes. on many occasions. <laughs>
0: True. I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've we've gone past the the yeah, time a lot. Is so we'll um, we'll let you go. And um, just want to say thank you very much for for being on the show. And uh, hope uh, London Theist and the programmer who've been uh, on the chat and potentially one or two others have been watching. Uh, thank you for your questions. Dan, final comments. Uh
2: Thank you for
0: uh, for chatting to us, and I'll, I'll, we'll we'll get you back.
1: Perfect, cool. thank you. Well, yeah, I, I guess anything, guys. Are you happy to put a link to my YouTube channel in the description at some stage?
0: I think it's already in there, but yeah, if people uh, look up the Philosopher's Cave, is that right, or Philosophy Cave? The Philosopher's whichever. Cave. And uh, you're you're about twenty subscribers away from one hundred, so um, yeah please do uh, subscribe, follow him and uh, listen into the the four ways of quietness. I've already started that one and, and recommend it. Content, so yeah. Uh, yeah, great to have you Richard. And we'll, okay. we'll um, sign off for those of you who uh, are watching this on catch up um, or listening on the podcast. Thank you so much for following us. Please do share, review, like, subscribe, all of that stuff. And if you really like, what we're doing um we've just tried out Streamyard. It seems to be quite a nice little bit of um software that helps us do fancier things and stream in multiple locations at once if you really want to uh see this channel grow well we are on patreon.com forward slash critical witness and uh, any support towards us will go towards making this show even better and would greatly appreciate it but otherwise feel free to enjoy the content it will always be free Um, and we just enjoy chatting to people and hope you enjoy it as well so i'm going to end there and uh, have a good rest of your evening thank you for listening and we hope you enjoyed the show if you like what you hear please do give us a subscribe on youtube or Follow us on any of the social media out there and give us feedback. Get in touch. Let us know what you think. If you really enjoyed the content and want to support it, find us on Patreon.com.